Cairo, Seattle. And this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, stand-up comedian and actor Cameron Esposito. As someone who loves to eat sour cream straight out of the carton drizzled with tapatio, I was really excited to talk to Cameron about her propensity for odd food combinations. Growing up, a sandwich that I really loved that I still stand by is peanut butter and pickles. That is a perfect sandwich. Hmm. Very salty and also sweet. Very nice. Good crunch. But we are barely scratching the surface with peanut butter and pickles. Cameron goes from mild to wild when we talk about some of her wacky snacks. Cameron is a proud Chicago native and very sentimental about some of the food she grew up with. So I chat with Chris Paselli, owner of Al's number one Italian beef, a Chicago institution that's been selling beef sandwiches for 82 years. Anybody that lives in this city knows about Italian beef. See, I went to New York one time to present this on the Today Show, was it? And they didn't know what I was having. You know, I was like selling them Martians. You know, they didn't know what this was. But first, my conversation with Cameron Esposito. Cameron hosts a podcast called Query, where she interviews famous and fascinating folks who identify as queer. And back in the day, she used to host a BuzzFeed web series called Ask a Lesbian. And I had a question I was dying to ask her. One of my gay friends, Heather, who I love, always claims things as lesbian that I'm like, that's, I thought that was just the thing for everyone. So I'll give what you What are a, the things? Name gonna, each of them. I'm going to tell okay. you. We were doing a book club and I text, is anybody already bringing guacamole? And she texts back, ha 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 ha, you're such a lesbian. I was like, not following. She's like, guacamole is a lesbian food. And I was like, I think it's actually a Mexican food. You're appropriating that for lesbians. She says chapstick is a lesbian thing and camping but I wanted to ask Wait, you. I want to I want to I want to address these individually. Yeah. First of all, when she sent this response, I thought for sure she was saying that you were being a lesbian because you were being prepared. Oh. Like, you know, to text and say what's everyone bringing because I was thinking of bringing guacamole. Now that is part of the culture, for hmm. sure. A very organized dinner party where nothing is repeated and everybody has texted to the chain their dietary restrictions and all of the dietary restrictions are extremely complicated and difficult to achieve especially against each other like now that does sound lesbian guacamole itself i will challenge that although i do have a very famous guacamole joke so i used to be on this party planning committee and one day i was like oh i this party needs whack-a-mole. <laughs> that is how I want to party. I want to hit animatronic moles on the head with a mallet. <laughs> but I said, I think this party needs whack-a-mole. Another lady on the committee looks at me and she goes, okay, okay. I believe it's pronounced guacamole. <laughs> yes! was talking about a game you could play at Chuck E. Cheese. She was talking about a Mexican appetizer. <laughs> to her, I am an adult woman who's been walking into Chipotle's for years. <laughs> Just going like, 
Oh, whack-a-mole's extra? Well, how much are jalapenos? That's who she thinks I am. And she also thinks nobody has ever told me. So if she, when she said guacamole is a lesbian thing, if that was actually a reference to me with this very famous guacamole joke, then I will accept that. Otherwise, I think that it is, as you said, appropriation. I mean, I'm just kidding, but still. I hope it's because of your joke. I'm going to have to ask her about that. Then she said chapstick. 100% true. Okay. Yeah, absolutely true. Here's mine that's sitting on directly next to you. Yeah. You know, there are certainly every type of queer person, every type of queer woman, and every type of queer human. Um, But I think it's complicated to, if you're, you know, assigned female at birth, to like have makeup pushed on you from a very young age as something that you should give a shit about when a lot of queer folks and specifically queer women don't care about that as much. So I think that chapstick is for lesbians because there are lipstick lesbians and there are chapstick lesbians. There you go. Put it on. I tried uh, to put it on with all that conversation. So I want to know if you can think of any foods that you define as lesbian or drinks. Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, like any fake meat, any fake meat. We'll start there. Vegan chili, vegetarian chili, uh, oat milk, non-dairy milks of any kind. Um, Why? Quinoa. And because, I mean, it really is like, it. so we're, we're not, you know, lesbians are not a monolith there are many different people experiencing many different things of course but the like prevailing white lesbian narrative i'm thinking of like a college town lesbian you know um oh a ctl that that, yeah Yeah. exactly yeah is that that person is very earth conscious socially aware like driving a car that's run off of vegetable oil you know so anything that falls into the alt culture in a crunchy earth-saving direction i think that's all us you're from illinois you lived in chicago and then you moved to la so what was that change like food wise to go from the midwest to southern california it's a great question and it was honestly what i hoped we would talk about today i actually hoped you would ask literally just this question so first of all i'll say i'm not from illinois i'm from chicago those are very different things because illinois can mean like rural. There are really red areas of Illinois. Chicago, third largest city in the country, plus in many of the rural areas in Illinois, not all, there is a strong white Midwestern culture. Yeah. In Chicago, it's a super segregated city. Like the South and West Side are where black folks live. A little bit further east on the West Side is like where Puerto Ricans live. There's, you know, Ukrainian village. There's like, it's super segregated racially. It's also super segregated ethnically, which I say because I am like Italian American from Chicago, which means like a whole specific thing. Hmm. Like I went to Italy. I lived in Rome for a while. Did you go to the Olive Garden when you were there? I was going to (laughs) say, like, I'm probably not the first person on this podcast to say, but like, you know, Italian food is like light often very light and very fresh yeah and then italian american food is like it must literally be like whatever the could last on the boat or something (laughs) like it literally is like dense 
and heavy and gummy. Covered in cheese. It's Exactly. It's more dairy, but it's more like cheese and red sauce versus like fish and pasta yeah. is not a main course. I guess it makes sense because some of the Italian-American food resembles a bed, like a ravioli is clearly a pillow and a lasagna <laughs> is a blanket, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you, well, why are they called sheets? Sheets of lasagna? We oh get my it. God, That's... yes. It's because you want to yeah. eat and then you just go right to sleep. Yeah, yeah. so exactly. I uh, grew up in that kind of household. It's many different types of meats. Italian beef sandwiches and only meat. You know, you're trying to pack on weight for the winter. Anyway, I moved to LA and I felt like when I first moved here that I couldn't figure out what people ate. I think that because it stays fairly warm year round here, like the human body actually doesn't want to eat these giant heavy meals. Like you feel bad, you feel physically bad if it's 110 outside in like a dry heat and you eat like a full you know, Chicago style pizza. Like it's a disgusting thing to do to yourself. You don't feel good. (laughs) And so I eat drastically different and I don't think I could actually survive on this diet in Chicago, nor would I want to. We need to, we need to enjoy the simple, the simple pleasures of like a very thick steak. If we live somewhere where it's extremely cold for a long period of time. That's so interesting. Yeah. I never thought about that. Like if you move back, your eating habit might change. Like even though you're still in the same country, you're adjusting for weather and lifestyle. I like couldn't believe that more. I like basically never ate anything but meat till I moved here. Speaking of eating differently when you live in a different part of the country, I am actually embarrassed about how little hot sauce I eat since I've lived in Seattle. So I moved from Northern California to Seattle about 15 years ago, and I used to put Tapatio and Valentino on everything because I was eating a ton of Mexican food, specifically burritos. But Seattle doesn't have great burritos, so it takes me sometimes a year to get through a bottle of Tapatio, and I'm embarrassed to say that I let a bottle go bad on my desk recently because it's just been sitting there sadly unused for so long. Okay, that's my hot sauce confession. When we come back, Cameron reveals her last meal, a tribute to her hometown and something she hasn't had a single bite of in at least four years. Cameron mentioned earlier that she ate a lot of meat when she lived in Chicago. So what is your last meal? It's an Italian beef sandwich (laughs) that is hot, sweet, and dipped, which means it has hot peppers on it and sweet peppers. And it's also dipped in au jus, which is like beef juice that has been sitting around being hot. So it's extremely soggy because you're not supposed to put bread fully inside of liquid. That's not what we do except in <laughs> the Italian soup, ribolita, which is bread soup. Oh, I love that soup. Bread. We don't talk about bread soup enough. Um, but yeah, you're not supposed to get bread wet, except you are in this case. It's super messy. It's super spicy. It definitely gives you a stomach ache now if you eat it. But if you grow up there, it feels like a soothing bit of Tums. Just just slides right in. <laughs> Sliced in the middle, two sides, beautiful. So what's the difference between this sandwich and a French dip? I have never had a French dip. I think first of all, the peppers is one thing. But have you had a French dip? I have had a French dip. Is it this? I've not had the Italian beef sandwich, though. But the French dip is just the meat 
and the bread, I think, and then you dip it. I think that's it. Yeah, and you dip it in anjou. Well, see, you know, obviously the French because they have ruined a sandwich that is will be so good if you just put sweet peppers which are sweet peppers are like sliced long strips of pepper that have been like sauteed a little bit then hot peppers is jardinera which is like pickled really spicy carrots peppers cauliflower cauliflower and celery it's like in a spicy oil <laughs> so Pickled in a spicy oil, just disgusting. Um, but one of my favorite things in the world. And so, yeah, you put all that on there, and then you're not just eating some sort of useless wet sandwich. I always thought it was weird with the dipping because you're right. We spend most of our lives trying to keep the bread dry, and then all of a sudden you're just putting it right in there. So, do you have to dip and then put it in your mouth so fast before it starts to disintegrate? It's a great question. The bread is specifically made for these sandwiches. And there are rival companies in Chicago, like Ganella is one of the companies. Toronto is one of them. I went to school with the Toronto kids who are like Italian beef sandwich bread magnates. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, but you would like know that name if you were from Chicago. And again, in LA, the similar, the similar thing is like at the end of the aisle, the like, whatever that's called, like the cap yeah, Stone, the end cap. Aisle cap and cap. Thank you. Uh, there's, you know, there'll be like a zillion different types of tacos or, or tortilla shells. Yeah. Not tacos. Tortilla shells. Tortilla shells? That's not even it. Tortillas. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> there will be a zillion different types of tortillas. In Chicago, it's like a zillion different types of bread. And they're like a little denser and there's a light, a light, a, a soft crust. But the density of the whole bread, I can't believe I'm going to get this specific, but I can. The density of the whole bread is you cannot just bite cleanly through it. You need to tear it a little bit with your teeth. Yes. And so it's like this bread that can hold up through being wet. It's like it doesn't want to fall apart. It's in fact difficult to eat. But you might also put sausages on this, Italian sausage. Go ahead. That's what I was going to say. This must be really a Chicago thing because a friend of mine here in Seattle who's from Chicago has been wanting to open a Chicago dog stand and he can't find the right bread. And he was asking me, where can you get an Italian little bread? And I was like, I don't know, because here we have a lot of Vietnamese food. And so you could get a banh mi roll. But that's different because that's the French. This you need the Italian bread. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because a banh mi roll does have that like sort of crispy crust yeah, thing going on. It's like more of a baguette. Yeah. yeah. But another thing that I will also add is that the Chicago style hot dog is also super specific and very different. In fact, it is a different bun because you're supposed to use a, a poppy seed hot dog bun, which oh, yeah. I haven't really seen outside of Chicago. I'm sure there's like some city that's going to write in, but I don't know who that is. So like the Chicago style hot dog has mustard and onions and two little half slices of tomato and a pickle but it also has these tiny things on that on it that are called sport peppers yeah but that's another thing that if you leave chicago and you start talking to people about sport peppers (laughs) (laughs) it's like not a thing I, i have realized in the time since that that's not an object that is sold in stores elsewhere. No, I don't actually really know what it is. I assume they were kind of like pepperoncinis that listened to the album Sport by Huey Lewis in the news too many times. <laughs> they are like, so you know how pepperoncini is like a, it's almost like got a, like a baggy skin. This yeah. Is, that's a disgusting way to right. speak about it. But right. Sport peppers are, they're like the density of a jalapeno. Okay. So like very like tight like that, yeah. except they're super teeny. 
maybe they're an inch and a half long. And um, what I've just described, I have not seen anywhere else called anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so, so Chicago. So why is that sandwich your last meal? What does it mean to you, the sandwich? Oh, my dad. So, you know, my, my grandparents grew up in Little Italy in Chicago. So you're like a third I... generation Chicagoan. And but like specifically this like Italian, you know, because their parents were from Italy and my mom's grandparents, too. So on both sides, they came that same generation. And my grandparents were both pharmacists. My my Nana had gone to pharmacy school, which is really oh. wild. She was born in 1912, but she went to college. Wow. Very unusual. Yeah. And then became a pharmacist. Again, very unusual. And yeah. She and my papa had like an actual mom and pop shop pharmacy. When my papa died, I was still like a kind of a little kid and my dad would take me to go see. I'm also the kind of Italian where you don't get buried in the earth. <laughs> There's a mausoleum. It's it's a very, it's like a, yeah, Italian-American Chicago thing. There's a mausoleum at, at a cemetery, which is like a building. And it's very fancy in like a nouveau- American like there are a lot of columns there are columns there's like peach marble you know like yeah. it's like it's that's like, the kind of vibe it's like a young rapper on cribs who just got rich <laughs> and that's how he decorated it's his that house. Guy, exactly yeah. it's that guy's house but it's this huge building and what you do is you reserve a spot in the wall it's actually a drawer I mean this is so f***ed up right but it's a drawer <laughs> My Nana already had her spot in the wall, but still lived for like another 20 years. When my Papa died and I was a little kid, my dad used to take us to see his dad, which was very emotional for him. And there was an Italian beef stand on the way back. And I remember him always getting these sandwiches for us as kids. It felt very like his heritage to him, I think. But I specifically remember them hmm. as a part of this process of like going to visit my Papa in the wall of somebody's house from cribs and then stopping on the way back and getting a really wet sandwich. Well, because the bread could stand up to the au jus, it could stand up to your dad's tears too. So maybe that was part of it. He's like just dabbing with the sandwich. Do you sandwich. know my dad? He's very tearful. Is he? Oh, yes. I was just thinking that that would be a really dark episode of Marie Kondo's show where she went in and like Marie kondo the drawers of the mausoleum. She's like, oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> we, no. Like we have to stand well, all is... them up like the socks or whatever. Exactly. Oh my God, that's so funny. This is also a thing for like a certain type of Hollywood royalty from a certain time, like the equivalent time that my papa and nana would have been alive. You know, like Marilyn Monroe. I think maybe she's somebody's in a drawer like there are you know people, i just don't think we're doing drawers anymore i think people are moving in the direction of like a green burial shout out to just drawers of people that is <laughs> horrifying do you have a space in the drawer are you in there i don't are you prepaid no, now For her last meal, Cameron Esposito wants a Chicago Italian beef sandwich. Hot, sweet, and dipped. Hot means it's topped with jardinera. And the Chicago style is vegetables and chilies marinated in oil. Usually no vinegar. Sweet is the grilled bell peppers that they throw on the sandwich. And dipped means that they dunk the entire thing in au jus before serving it. But Cameron is a vegetarian now. So there's only been one exception when she ate this sandwich. You said last time I ate it, it gave me an eye infection. That's true. 
<laughs> How did you trace it back to the sandwich? So the Cubs won the World Series, which was a huge deal. You know, my dad was a lifelong fan. His dad was a lifelong fan. It's very exciting. But I got my dad these really, really great tickets the year after they won fourth row or something. And it was so fun to bring him. The Italian beef guy came by. And I said, like, I'm not going to not do this right now. So I grabbed a beef. My dad grabbed a beef. Rubbed it in your eye. As we've discussed, it's a very messy sandwich. I'm sure that the reason I got pink eye the next day was because after eating the sandwich, I remember my eye burning when I like scratch when I just rubbed it for a second. It's like I for sure put hot peppers directly in my eye. Sport peppers. Th- that's a different thing. Oh yeah, that's it's a different a thing. Oh yeah, never mind. <laughs> God, Sorry, I don't mean to correct you. <laughs> God, was that so? Was that the last time you had that sandwich? Yes. When was that? 2016. Is that true? Is that the only thing, good thing that happened that year? I don't know. Anyway, whenever that was. As an outsider, when I think of Chicago foods, I think of deep dish pizza and Chicago hot dogs. But the Italian beef sandwich is a super duper popular regional food that's entrenched in Chicago culture. Now, there's a little bit of debate about who invented the sandwich, but most people give credit to Al's number one Italian beef, located in Little Italy. The first shop opened in 1938, but the story of the sandwich begins years before that. Chris Paselli is the owner of Al's. I heard the people call you Bones. Bones is a nickname that I grew up with since I was about five years old. His dad and uncle opened the sandwich shop. I'm born into the business. I'm 72. My entire functioning life, I did something with Elle's Beef. After school and stuff, we used to cut peppers. We used to all, you know, it was like a family thing. Chris says the history of the sandwich goes back to about 1917 or 1918. Chris's grandfather, Anthony Ferrari, was a street peddler in Chicago. He would drive around delivering sandwiches to blue-collar workers. Because there was no places to go eat in them days, you know what I mean? You, you either packed a brown bag or you went home to eat. <laughs> that was it. You know, people that were working Joe's didn't have the kind of money to go to restaurants. One day, Anthony got invited to what was called a peanut wedding. Italian immigrants without a lot of money would get married in backyards or church basements, and they would serve cheap foods that could feed a lot of people, like peanuts and cheap cuts of beef. And my grandfather is a sandwich person, so he had the slice three. So he started thinking, if I do a roast beef, say, and slice it so thin that you can almost see through it. Well, you could see through it. That's how thin it gets. You're serving over here in 15, 20 people. I can do 40 people for the same price if you buy it off of me. So he created this sandwich, Italian beef. And he served it with the traditional Italian relish, giardinera. Actually, in Italian, giardinera means vegetables in the garden, Okay. So they would chop up some stuff from a little hot pepper and put it on that, or some sweet pepper. You know, it was like a relish on the side. So he got known to do that. He never really opened up a beef stand. He never did nothing like that. He was just a street peddler. But years later, Anthony's son got into the sandwich business. My uncle Al, which is the place is named after, had some troubles. He ended up in jail. Uh, you know, in them days, you got to remember Italians, the 30s, the 20s, you know, all that, uh, whatever it is. You know? <laughs> so he ended up in jail. When he got out of jail, 
which was probably around 36, 37, who knows? It's in that area. He uh, had friends that were all gamblers and crooks, and that's all he knew. These guys wanted to open up a bookie place, and he was part of that. So they needed a front. So my uncle's thinking, why don't I just use my father's, you know, like sandwiches? You know, he opened this uh, place on Laughlin and Harrison, and it was an outside stand. And in the back, the bookies were working. Sandwiches up front, gambling in the back. But after a while, Al was making good money selling sandwiches. So Chris's parents teamed up with him and they opened their first shop. But at that time, Chris Sr. and Al still had jobs during the day. So Al's was only open at night. You know, we're Catholic. And on Fridays, couldn't eat meat. So as soon as 12 o'clock come at night, there was a crowd of people, 12 midnight, there was a crowd of people around the beef stand waiting for it to open up, okay? (laughs) So that's how that started. Chris says by the 1950s, other beef stands had opened up in Chicago. All the gamblers, they started seeing my uncle making money, and they said, this is a way of revenue without me sticking up somebody or going someplace, robbing a house or something. I could do this and not worry about going to jail. Just had to pay your taxes. So anyway, um, that's how this became a Chicago item. Some people claim the name of fame and all that stuff, but the truth is my family started it. Remember earlier when Cameron and I were trying to figure out the difference between a French dip and an Italian beef? I got the answer. The difference between this and a French dip, a French dip, you get your little gravy on the side you get to dip it yourself in this case you dip it's it for the same them. idea right the french dip is a little thicker beef it doesn't have the seasoning taste that we have there's a big difference the juice that you would dip it in is really weak you know that french dip is like there's nothing to it it's just like a beef bouillon is what you're dipping into and this is entirely different this has some body to it this this gravy <laughs> Like me. <laughs> uh, Philly cheesesteak. They slap a piece of uh, raw meat onto a flat grill. They chop it up. They throw cheese whiz on top of it. They throw it in their sandwich, and away you go. Italian beef is nurtured. It's put into an oven for three and a half hours. We separate the beef from the juice. The next day, we trim all the fat off of it, and we present it to the public the next day. That's called cooking. (laughs) That's what I always tell people. That's the difference. You're a sandwich trash talker. Yeah. So they slow cook the beef. They slice it paper thin. And then they let the slices sit in a pan of au jus until it's served. And there are three different ways to order a beef. Will you explain to me what's the difference between dry, dipped, and wet? We'll start off with the dry. Okay. Instead of putting the meat on the sandwich real fast, what you do is hold it with the fork, shake it a little bit, get all the juice off. Some people don't like the real juicy. The regular sandwich, which is a wet sandwich, is just put on real fast from the pot to the bread. And that's pretty wet. Then the dipped, after we make the sandwich, grab the prongs and dip it, swirl it in the juice. Because, you know, there's always a little grease on the top, so you got to swirl it around in the juice and then put it on the wrapping paper. So those are the three different ways. And the dip doesn't just fall apart after the bread's been dipped in the No, the bread holds together when we do that. 
Now, nothing's going to hold together forever. You got to eat it there or within about 10 minutes or something. You should eat this. It's not a sandwich you go, go on a trip with. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a vacation sandwich. <laughs> You'll be surprised at the people I mailed this to. <laughs> An Italian beef is a sloppy, messy sandwich. So Chris has advice on how to eat it. What is the Italian stance? The Italian stance is uh, you put your feet back from the counter about 18 inches, your forearms or your elbows on the counter, and you lean forward and you eat it. So any slap that goes down goes down on the, it don't go on your shirt, it don't go on your pants, and you can go back to work and look neat. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I called it the Italian stance. What is your favorite weird late night snack that you wouldn't want anybody to know about? What is a strange combination of foods that you love that makes your friends gag? Cameron shares her funky snack when we come back. My first introduction to Cameron was on a now defunct podcast that I loved called Slumber Party with Allie and Georgia. She was on an episode back in 2014. In that episode, you talk about dipping a Reese's peanut butter cup in salsa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's funny and true. Yeah. Because they were asking about just odd foods that you eat when you're by yourself. Is that something you still do? That food specifically slash just mixing strange combos? I Well, first of all, I think I still do mix strange combos. Like, for instance, growing up, a sandwich that I really loved that I still stand by is peanut butter and pickles. That is a f- perfect sandwich. Hmm. Very salty and also sweet. It's very nice. Good crunch. But, you know, at the time, I I had moved to L.A. not too long prior, and stuff career-wise was picking up at this, like, sort of astronomical speed, and I was on the road all the time for the first time, and I just had no idea how to take care of myself and keep up with this new life that I was living. So it really was that sort of thing. And I was staying up super late. Like, yeah, it was a different time in my life and in my career. Number one, if you stay up late enough, all you want is to figure out how to get both salty and sweet near each other. That is true. Salsa on a peanut butter cup is perfect. Yes. And then the other, the second thing I will say is when you're like exhausted and on and on the road all the time, sometimes what you have is salsa on a peanut butter cup, which is not great. <laughs> so I have been trying to learn how to take better care of myself in the time sense so that I'm not making exactly those decisions. If you break it down, though, think about what's in a mole. There's chocolate in mole. I think there might be yes. peanuts, yes. you know, and that's Mexican food that goes with salsa. So you're actually making quite a traditional dish, but in more of like a, you know, fusion way. You know, the thing that I also really like about this snack is that it it is a lot of food groups, you know? So Mm -hmm. if you're really stretched, but you need like protein and a little bit of like calcium from dairy and then also some like vitamins from vegetables. Yeah. I mean, this dish has got it all. Did you like that combo? Um, I don't think it's like a good thing to eat. (laughs) (laughs) But I will stand by peanut butter and pickles. That is a delicious thing to eat. Okay, so because of Cameron, I made a peanut butter and pickle open-faced sandwich this week. I made it on half of an onion hamburger bun because that's all that I had in the house. You may have seen the video in my Instagram stories and peanut butter and pickle sandwich. You have a new fan. It was 
So good. I didn't expect it to be that good. I love the crunch. I loved how the acid from the pickle cut through the richness of the creamy peanut butter. 100% would eat again. I would have eaten more that day, actually, but I ran out of pickles. So I asked you on Instagram, your last meal podcast, what strange food combinations you love. And some of you need to get out more. I'm talking to you, French fries with soft serve. That is a Wendy's classic. That is not a strange food combination. Somebody else said salami and cream cheese. Let's move on to some of the good ones. So a couple of people shared that they like cereal, but with orange juice poured over the top instead of milk. Uh, Specifically, one person said with Rice Krispies. Somebody else said a sesame hamburger bun toasted, spread with butter, and then dipped into cold milk. Ooh, and I got one from Jill Leitner. She is a past Your Last Meal guest. She's the author of Scraps, Peels, and Stems. A lot of you guys write in about her. She was the one who taught us that roasted leek greens taste like sour cream and onion chips. So she likes, this one is truly odd, dill pickles drizzled with honey and sour cream. And she swears by ginger snaps topped with blue cheese. Ooh, and somebody else said Oreos dipped in cream cheese, which that actually sounds good. It makes me think it would taste like a cheesecake with a chocolate cookie crust. But the one that intrigued me the most that I really want to try, so keep an eye on my Instagram stories because I'm going to go out and get some Cheerios so I can make this. Cheerios, not honey nut, with melted cheese. And they add preferably Tillamook medium cheddar. It was so nice chatting with you. This was really fun. It was super nice chatting with you, too. I hope that you have a, a like a really f- great day. <laughs> Thank you. I hope that for you, too. <laughs> I hope you have lots of quinoa and fake meat and everything that makes you happy. That's literally what is in my fridge and what I will be eating. Perfect. Well, take care. Thank it was you. so great to yeah. chat with you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Cameron Esposito's last meal. Cameron released a memoir earlier this year. It's called Save Yourself. Make sure and pick that up. Support local bookstores and listen to her podcast. It's called Query. Q-U-E-E-R-Y. Thanks to Chris Baselli, who gave me the once-in-a-lifetime experience of feeling like I was on the set of the SNL The Bears sketch. Make sure and visit Al's number one Italian beef next time you're in Chicago. So what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Beef sandwich. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Are you serious? She thinks I'm kidding her. I'm serious. It's, it's, a, bre- it's a breakfast beef. <laughs> I call it breakfast beef. Your stomach don't know what time it is. I agree. I eat Chinese food for breakfast, so I totally agree. Okay. Yeah. Cold probably, yeah. too. Do you eat a beef sandwich every single day? Yes. I crave it sometimes when I'm I'm not in the area in Chicago. So every once in a while, I'll give Mickey D's a little. (laughs) (laughs) Business. This episode was produced by Laura Scott and me. Theme music by Prom Queen. And as a holiday gift, we would be so thrilled if you gave the show a little bit of love. Tell a friend uh, when somebody posts on social media that they're looking for a new podcast to listen to. Recommend this one and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This is the last episode of 2020, but we will be back in January with some really fun stuff. Our 100th episode is coming up, and I have something really fun planned for that. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Do you want us on video? It's your choice. I mean, we could look at each other, or we could remain creatures of mystery. Either way is fine. (laughs) Creatures of mystery? Yes. (laughs) We heat up the juice, the gravy. I Jew, they would call it. 
That's me, a Jew. Well, I, I was going to say, I don't want to say that. Uh, Israeli. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> I got to be, be politically correct. So anyway, well, that's what everybody calls it. I don't know why. <laughs> I guess it means juice, right? <laughs> well, I think like if you say it how the French do, it's a Jew.